Hey, this is Mitch Rose. I'm the lead pastor of City Hills Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message encourages you, it inspires you, it challenges you to live your best life. Take a listen. Here's this week's message. Uh, if you have a Bible, would you grab that and let's turn in the Bible. If you have a copy of it, if you have a device and you want to look on there, uh, James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Again, thank you to everybody. It's always nice to be in City Hills. I'm glad for what God's doing. I'm excited about Revival Nights. I've been hearing a lot about that. Uh, Pastors Jabin and Wayne and Pastor Daniel, they're just great, great men of God. And you're going to be blessed when you come for Revival Nights in August. Looking forward to hearing about that. James chapter 2, and we'll begin reading with verse number 1. James says this, my brothers... He's also referring to uh, females as well in the context of the scripture here. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and a fine cloth and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, "You sit here in a good place," while you say to the poor man, "You stand over there," or "Sit at my feet." Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he's promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Verse 7. Are they not the ones to blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said don't commit adultery also said don't murder. If you don't commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. Two more verses, verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And then notice this last phrase, mercy triumphs over judgment. If you were to put the totality of the sermon in one sentence, the big idea of the message, it would be this, the genuine Faith, genuine, spirit-filled faith will cause us to love the world as God does. Do you believe that? I believe that. Genuine faith will cause us to love the world as God does. I want to preach about level ground from James 2. Let's, uh, let's just bow for just a moment more. And would you pray uh, just for a moment longer that God would use the word that's spoken today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of coming together today. God, thank you for the uh, beautiful day you've given us. We're grateful to be inside and getting just to worship you together. Thank you for the beautiful variety of people among us today. And thank you, Lord, that your word is settled. It's the same today as it always will be. And so we can depend upon that stability, Lord. As we look at it, I pray you'll help it to be accurate. I pray you'll help it to be uh, given with, with clear a clear word, a clear message, a clear voice. And then, God, would you also bless the receiving of that word today? Thank you for doing that. God, let at the end of the service, when we leave and go home, let us all be pointed toward Jesus Christ. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 
Amen. Thank you for reading along with me. If the second chapter of the book of James was a television episode, when it fades from black into the first moment or two of the episode, chapter 2, we wouldn't have to go very long. In fact, in the first minute of that episode called James 2, we would be introduced to something huge, something very big. Now, if you're to transition then and actually look then at that first verse of James chapter 1, you'll see it with me. James says this as he starts this chapter. He said, my brothers and sisters, don't hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the big part, the Lord of glory with Partiality. Now, if you're anything like me, sometimes you can read the Bible and you can read about the verbiage and the words that are used. And if, especially if you've been a part of a Christian church for any number of time in your life, you kind of can skim by some of the words and kind of, yeah, I understand that, just kind of skim on by. But don't miss the phrase, the Lord of glory. When James is talking in verse 1 about having faith in Jesus Christ, and then he even goes further and identifies this Jesus as the Lord of glory, what James is doing is that he's manifesting or saying that Jesus is the full manifestation of God, the majesty of God. And so when James is saying this, he's saying this Jesus isn't just a man or just a savior. He's completely God. It's a huge statement and description to make. And it's big, a big deal because of what is being said. Some of you may know this, others may not, but James, the book of James, or the epistle of James, the letter of James, is one of the first, if not the first, books written in the New Testament. It's not the first book of the New Testament, but it was the first one written. And so when we read this, that James is saying the Lord Jesus is the Lord of glory, what that really means is that from the very start of being Christians, the earliest Christians were saying, we believe that Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. He's the full manifestation of of God, And they said so in strong, unmistakable terms from the very beginning. Now, I believe that today, 20 centuries later, there are some people in Bernie, like me and you, who believe, anyone believe that Jesus is God. He is the one, the Lord of glory. It's important because of what is said, but it's also important because of who is saying it. The writer James, in this book that we call James, he is the half-brother of Jesus. Get it? Same mother, different father, same mother. And now James is saying about his half-brother, he's God. Now, I don't know if that strikes you, but if, if you have a brother, that probably is slightly ironic to hear. How many of you have a, a brother? Okay, I saw your hand in your eyes a moment ago. May I ask what your brother's name is? Jack, Jack is that right? Jack, okay. Who knew, right? And your name? Audrey, Audrey and Jack. Okay, brother and sister. Audrey, uh, I, I, I am putting you on the spot. I don't mean to embarrass you at all. How much would it take for you to say, Jack is God? Um, yeah, that's about all you need to say right there, right? That's a hard call to make, isn't it? Now, uh, not Jack, but someone else's brother may think they're God, but to say the actual words come out of your mouth, he is God. That's what James is saying. 
my half-brother is God. And what he goes on to say is that this one Jesus, who is God, who is the Lord of glory, as you hold on to your faith in Jesus, he says this to the audience he's speaking, don't show partiality. Another way to say it would be don't be prejudiced. Now, a question to ask ourselves today is does our faith in Jesus, if we're believers in Christ, we've given our life to him, we put all of our eggs in his basket, he's the only one for us, does our faith in Christ cause us to love and to care and to treat everyone equally? James would say, it should. He'd say that to me and all of us. It should. He's the Lord of glory, and as he's the Lord of glory and we hold faith in him, don't show partiality. It's so easy, isn't it, to draw lines? You believe that? It's so easy to draw lines and put labels and make camps of people here and there. It's so easy. I learned this as a young boy. I was, I was born in 1970, otherwise known as the Dark Ages, and... In 1970, when I came into existence, I grew up my younger years listening to the radio. Not, not many younger kids listen to radio anymore. I actually work in a radio station. You know, it's kind of one of those tensions, right? And I listened to radio. Back in the day, you know, it was, you know, whatever was popular in the, in the late 70s, that's what I was listening to on the radio. And I would listen, and I remember specifically one day on W-L-I-T in Chicago, my hometown. This, this voice came on, and he began singing a song I had never heard before, but it instantly got my attention. And the song lyrics, and I'm going to uh, quote them verbatim. Here they are. Short people got no reason. Short people got no reason. Short people got no reason to live. Is there anyone here in this house today that has ever heard of the song, Short People? Raise your hand. God love you guys. I'm coming down here. Can I just give you a high five? You're my kind of people right there. And I heard that. Short people got no reason to live. And I remember I heard that on the radio for the first time. Got no reason to live. And I thought to myself, I'm offended. You know why? Because as a seven-year-old, not today, but as a seven-year-old, I was short. (laughs) And I thought to myself, that's offensive to me. How dare, his name was Randy Newman, he's the guy that wrote the song, how dare Randy Newman make a statement of my existential state just because I'm short? The fact is, right? Now, later on, Randy Newman would say, it was just satire. I wasn't really meaning it. It really wasn't supposed to be like capping on short people. But the fact is, when it came out, people got mad. Us short people? You shouldn't do that. In fact, this true story, in my home state of Maryland, in 1978, one year after the song came out, a state of Maryland delegate, our House of Delegates there in the state, his name was Isaiah Dixon. He was five foot five, by the way. And he attempted to introduce legislation, true story, to make it illegal to play short people on the radio. Now, it didn't go anywhere. It didn't get voted in. But he was obviously upset about it, as was I. 
the fact of the matter is what he did, Randy Newman did, even if it was just satire, he did what, let's just be honest, we so easily do, right? We categorize people. If they're different from us, we categorize them. We've all been there before. We, we just, we, you know, they are that and I'm this. Take your pick of what that is. Republican, Democrat, Independent, short, tall, big, small, on down the line, Christian, non-Christian, and we just kind of lump it all together and we draw these lines of distinction. Can I just say this? Can I just be real honest with you? And I'm speaking to myself too. James is saying if our genuine faith in Christ, it means anything, we ought not do that in our life as Christians. Not draw hard lines not be people with favoritism and discrimination and prejudice and racism and chauvinism and bigotry. What James is saying and reminding us is that that has no place in the life of a Christian who possesses genuine faith. And here's why. Because God's not that way. Is there anyone glad today? I think I know the answer already, but is there anyone glad today that God doesn't play favorites? Isn't that awesome? The Old Testament says it this way in Deuteronomy chapter 10. The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and great, mighty, and awesome, who is not partial. The New Testament, Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Peter just saw the Spirit of God poured out on Gentiles, outsiders from the Jewish people. And it says he opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. God never discriminates. God doesn't pay attention to economic status or race or nationality or class or political party or any such thing. Why is that a big deal? Because some of us, including the guy speaking, when we came to Jesus, we were a mess. We didn't look like everybody else. We didn't talk like everybody else. We didn't know all the verbiage of church lingo. But somehow God reached past all of that. I feel a preach coming on. God reached past all of that. And he said, I've got a place for you. And God never showed favoritism. God does not discriminate. James lived in an age that even compared to ours was even more prejudiced than our age. They were extremely partial in the first century. They, they, they had hatred based on all kinds of things, ethnicity and religious background. But one of the greatest things about that early church is that they rose above those distinctions and those lines. You would come into the presence of people as Christians in the first century and you would look around and you'd see wealthy people and poor people all worshiping God together. Isn't it amazing that here today, put your head on a swivel just for a moment, look to the left and right all around the sanctuary for just a moment. You know what the greatest thing about the people you're seeing right now? You know what the greatest attribute they have? They're not like you. Isn't that great? Wouldn't it be boring if City Hills was just exactly like me and you? I have a twin brother. I can say that. That would be boring. But God has placed us all together. And what makes us unique is not our own self. It's the God we've given our faith to. And he has brought us together, disparate people, people from all different backgrounds. And James is now saying that kind of genuine faith in God, we ought not discriminate. And the church, the church of the living God is a beautiful example of people being brought together, unified level ground. 
It's so important that we remember that James is writing and why he wrote the book. Now, living a life of genuine faith that doesn't show favoritism or partiality, it's a learning process, it really is. It's easy sometimes to categorize people and deem them lower than us because they're not like us. And it's a learning process, but to speak like Jesus and to do like Jesus in James 2, it causes us to see like Jesus. Here's the first main thing I want you to remember today. Shallow discrimination warps our perspective. Look again, if you've got your device still there or your Bible still there, look again at verse number one. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. If you were to look back in the original language this verse was written in, the Greek language, you would see that this word partiality, that James says don't show partiality, this word partiality literally refers to looking at their face or looking according to their face. The simple way to look at it is to see them just for what you see. It's making an assessment of the book by just the cover. And James is saying, don't do that. It's why the hypothetical statement then came in from James. If you see a rich man come in with beautiful robes, wealthy appearance, and you say, there's the reserve seat. Come on down. And you give him the seat. But you look at the man with shabby clothes, and you say, no, no, the corner for you, buddy. We have made a distinction. See, shallow distinction warps our perspective. And James is saying, we see them according to the face, if we're not careful, just by what we see. And he presents this hypothetical. And when we do that, it warps our view of how God sees us. We forget what God has done for us. Uh, For example, if you're a Christian here today, and you, again, have put your faith in Christ, when we came to Jesus... He treated us just like he treats everyone who places their faith in him for salvation. Isn't it awesome that all God asks for is our faith? He doesn't look for our perfection. He doesn't look for our political card that we carry. He doesn't look according to the face of what we look like, our skin color, our ethnicity. He simply says, do you have faith? And if we say yes, he says, come on. And sometimes when we come to Christ, we came and we said, God, my life's a mess. He didn't look at the externals. He looked at the heart. And we said, God, I repent of my past. I turn from my past. Then Jesus Christ forgave us. When that happened, our wealth didn't matter to Jesus. Our skin color didn't matter to him. Our education didn't matter. Our appearance didn't matter. I want to pause long enough to say if you're here today and you've never come to a place of relinquishing everything in your life to Jesus and you think God would never accept me, listen, everybody, God's not looking at the outside. God wants your heart. And if you'll turn to him, he will forgive you and he will cleanse you from your past and make you over again. James says, don't show partiality. When we do, we, we warp our perspective. We, we forget what God has done, but we also forget how God sees us. Some of you may be familiar with the story of the prophet Samuel. He was told by God that the next king of Israel was going to come, and he was given specific uh, notification. It was going to come from a guy, Jesse's house, and so the prophet went to Jesse's house. And when he got there, he said, Jesse, the Lord told me that the king is going to come from among your sons. 
So bring them here, please. And so Jesse went and he got his sons and one by one they came through the line of the house. God said to the prophet, no, it's not that one. No, not that one. Not that one. On down the list, one by one. Every single one of them, God said, no, not that one. Finally, they got to the end and the prophet said, Jesse's at all. He said, well, there's one more, but he's out on the you know, field tending the shepherds, the sheep, rather, he's a shepherd. And the prophet said, well, just bring him, come on, bring him, let him come on, I'll, I'll wait for him. David walked in. And when David walked in, God said to the prophet, that's the one. Now, what did God specifically say? 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, appearance by the face, but the Lord looks on the heart. When David walked in, verse 12 of the same chapter says this, and he sent him, brought him in. Now he was, David was ruddy. That's just fair complected. He had beautiful eyes and he was va-va-voom handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. God looks at the heart, who he is. See, when we, we show favoritism, when we avoid level ground in our life, we, we warp our perspective. But I think secondly, when it comes to people, Jesus has done for us as an example globally what we're learning to do locally. Jesus has done for us on a global scale what we are now doing on a local scale. When Jesus came into the world, he came to break down walls, not set them up, break them down. It's why Paul said this. Look at Galatians chapter 3 quickly with me, verse 23. Now, before faith came, we can read that to say before Jesus came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are, everyone say this next word, all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Verse 28 of Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to break down the walls that separate us. That's why the Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 2, God has made us, Christ has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. One new man in place of the two. That's why when we seek on a regular basis, I hope, to live out what the Bible calls the royal law. James mentioned it in verse number 8. He said, the royal law, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a good thing to do. If we transgress, we transgress the whole law. Even one thing we transgress, we transgress the whole law. But Jesus came to break that down, the dividing wall down, so we could possess level ground. There's something beautifully unifying about Jesus Christ. I wrote it in my notes this way, and it's, it's, a, it's a bold statement, but allow me just to say it to myself more than anybody, but all of us. Favoritism is an indication of where we are spiritually. 
and an indicator of our health, of the connection to the Lord. It's why James says, don't show favoritism. Allow the Spirit of God. Allow the example of Jesus who has done for the world what we now have the opportunity to do locally. Allow that to guide your interaction and your faith. Don't draw distinction. And I think lastly, and perhaps to me the most significant factor in James chapter 2, is that favoritism is overcome with mercy. And to that I simply say, thank you, God. I mentioned in the 930 service something that is still true now and will always be true. God has so much mercy for us. And even people who speak on platforms need mercy. I don't know if you've ever had it happen. I have. When you're by yourself, I'm going to be kind of close to you guys. And you have conversations about yourself to yourself and then ultimately maybe to God. And what you think more than anything else, if you're anything like me, is of some of the shortcomings in your life. Maybe make me feel good more than anybody else. Would anyone just kind of nod your head, make me feel at home there? I'm glad. And there have been not a few occasions when I have sat in my home and you know, had done something that week or thought something that week or didn't have the right attitude with Brenda, didn't parent exactly the best way I could have with Allie and Michaela. And I would start to beat myself up. not intentionally, but almost try to disqualify myself from what I had been taught all my life about the mercy of God. Don't answer out loud. Don't even nod your head. But is there anybody else in your life who has thought at some point after so many transgressions, God has to get to some point to say, okay, enough. You've run out of choices and chances. Is anybody felt that way I have but here's how we overcome favoritism is we remember what Jesus has done for us did you catch what James says in the last part verses 12 and 13 he said judgment is overcome with mercy you know what Jesus did for me one day when I was a 13 year old kid I was a short 13-year-old teenager outside of Chicago who went to a Christian camp. And Friday night came and the preacher asked, does anyone want to give their life to the Lord? And 
Audrey, I said in my life, me, me, I, I want to. So I made my way down to an altar. And even at 13, I deserved judgment because I couldn't accept, I couldn't be good enough. I tried. I had gritted my teeth and furrowed my brow and God, I'm going to live right. But that night, July 1st, 1983, I finally said, God, I give up. I've got to have you. You're the only hope for me. And that night, judgment and mercy swapped places. The judgment that I deserve, even as a 13-year-old, Jesus took it himself. And the mercy that he had, he gave it back to me. And now I possessed mercy when all I deserved was judgment. So how do we overcome favoritism? How do we overcome putting people in boxes we look at them the way Jesus looked at us. Instead of judgment, we extend mercy. You're different than me, yes. But I extend mercy because that's what Jesus has done for me. What would it look like today? If starting today, we viewed everybody around us as made in the image of God. What would it look like if beginning today we pledge to level the ground and invite everyone close to us? What would it look like if starting today from our heart, in our eyes and in our heart and mind, mercy triumphed over judgment? That would change our world. Let's do that, City Hills. Let's live that way. Here's why that's important. Because one day, we're going to go to heaven. I still believe that's true, by the way. I believe there is a heaven. And one day, we're going to go to heaven. Everyone who has put their faith in Christ, that is our eternal destination. It's not what the only thing we live for, but it's, it's the byproduct of living a life of faith. Jesus says, come on. I got a place for you. I built a place for you. Come on. And one day, we're going to be in heaven, all of us as Christians. And I don't know exactly how it's all going to look. I, the Bible talks a little bit about it. I don't know if there will be a, you know, a Texas neighborhood. And then maybe like a, a Bernie cul-de-sac. I don't know. I'd like to think so. That'd be cool. But those of us over, you know, north of that cul-de-sac, way in that weird place called Maryland, I'm, I'm just going to step out and I'll be right back. And I want to walk over to where you all are. I'm going to see the sights. Crystal Sea. Streets of gold. H-E-B? Probably will be there then I'll see you in all of your glorious difference you're not like me you shouldn't be you're yourself but what unites us 
He's the one who saved us. It's why James, or rather, uh, the, the writer says in Revelation, John says this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So you're going to be there, right? Right? I'm going to look for you right there. I'm going to look for you and you and you and you. Security guys, I'm going to look for you. You're going to be there, right? And we're going to stand there. And what's going to make it so awesome isn't what makes us different, but the one who has brought us together. And we can stand with the throngs and millions from the ages past and lift up our voice and say, Worthy is the Lamb of God who brought us out of sin into a glorious salvation. And we can be together. The walls have broken down. The personalities don't matter anymore. All that matters is that God has roped himself in flesh and came to the world so that we could put hope in that finished work, turn from our sin, and in doing so be brought into relationship with the holy God so that one day we can stand in the heavenlies and say, glory to God wonderful is the Lord Jesus Christ and together the one that broke down the walls will say welcome come on in let's live the kind of life now preparing for that and take the mercy that God has given us and extend that to everybody we reach through and reach to throughout the next day ahead let's do that together let's prepare ahead of time for that let's pray one more time would you stand with me everybody let's pray Father, thank you for your blessing and thank you for your kindness and goodness. Thank you for helping us, Lord Jesus, to look at the scriptures. And they were written such a long time ago, God, but I, I trust you've, you've helped them come alive to us again today, Lord. And I pray now that you would help us to apply what we have heard from the scriptures, Lord. Help us to look at people differently, especially if we've drawn distinctions and lines of division. Help us to see them, God, as you see them, Lord. Help us to treat them as you treated us, Lord, and you gave us mercy. Help us to do that as well to those that we interact with. Let this week ahead be a week of the royal law in our life being lived out, God. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are, Lord. And then one day, Lord, bring us all back together and bring us, Lord, into that place of realizing that you've made us all different but God, you're not playing favorites. You're leveling the ground. And what levels the ground is the amazing mercy of Jesus Christ. Help us to live that way. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. You know, it's because of you that we're able not only to bring this message to you, but we're able to offer hope and life to the San Antonio Hill Country and beyond. So if you'd like to give today, you can visit cityhillstx.com right now. And if this message blessed you, why don't you click subscribe or share this message with your friends uh, on your socials. I pray it's a blessing to others in your world. Thanks again for listening today. God bless you.